there is no doubt that you have heard us say in the past that working in virtually any capacity in the Ontario Hockey League is a labor of love. Most people who do it have jobs outside of the job that is working in the Ontario Hockey League and the worlds have collided here today. Chris Pope, who sells beer for Molson for a living, that's the full-time job, is sitting in a bar drinking the product, as I'm sure they call it, as we record our podcast this week. Tough life. We're Shoeless Joes in Wingham? What? Uh, Krabby Joes Krabby in Joes, sorry. Listable. Yeah. Uh, slightly worse than Wingham. Um, <laughs> but a great, great establishment here. This podcast brought to you by Krabby Joes. The, the yeah, meeting was in Wingham. The meeting was in yeah. Wingham and then you meeting down to listing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I went up to the old stomping grounds of Wingham where I used to live and work in radio actually. Uh, I got a new bar opening there, Riverside. Uh, beautiful spot. And then was meeting ran a little long. I thought I was going to make it home in time to do this podcast and got in my car and thought, oh boy, I'm not going to be able to make it home in time. And I really have to pee. Crabby <laughs> so, Joe's to the rescue. So, so it was um, like, I need internet for this podcast. What am I going to do? And I thought, well, I'm just going to have to go into, I thought about a Tim's, but a Tim's is a little quiet, you know, but a lot of people in and out. So I thought, well, I'll just go to Krabby's and I'll hope they have like a corner booth or something. I went in the back earlier because I thought I'd just hide in the back, but the lighting was really dark and I thought they won't be able to see me or anything. So I picked a spot here in the bar. I got the wonderful waitress who continues to walk by and look at me while I'm being recorded on a video. <laughs> and I, I'm assuming she realizes that I'm not interested in ordering food right now. But of course I am at Krabby Joe's, so I will indulge in a beautiful cream or premium lager. I absolutely love the future and how this all comes together. You stop at Krabby Joe's, not just for the fine washroom facilities, but so you can get on the Wi-Fi yep. and record a podcast. You too can do this in Listowel, kids. There you go. Right? <laughs> and honestly, it's not ideal. Obviously, there's background music going. I'm sitting in a bar. But when you're doing seven jobs, <laughs> sometimes you got to make things work. And we made it work. We had the interview. Got done. So... Anybody watching this on our YouTube channel for the full video experience will be seeing something they haven't seen on this podcast before, although they might again, because Pope in a bar is not necessarily an uncommon thing. But I think we're going to start doing a couple of these from some bars around town. I, I'm going to be honest with you. I've had a couple of bars reach out wanting to sponsor the podcast and talked about maybe doing a live recording. So uh, that will absolutely happen. Then we can absolutely we'll bring a guest in. We'll record the entire thing in the bar. We'll invite some Listeners, how many listeners do you think we have? Six, seven? Depends. Yeah. <laughs> Depends on the day and the guest. But it, we're just having a beer. It's not like it's on, you know, it's professional. Social. Of course. Of course. Social. On, on, that, on that note, we should really quick, and I'm going to forget his name because you usually monitor our inbox, farwellandpope at gmail.com. But we asked the other week about, hey, where are you listening from? Let us know. Send us an email, farwellandpope at gmail.com or tweet us at farwell underscore OHL at underscore Chris Pope. And I, I feel awful for forgetting his name, but he was from Pittsburgh. So he just said, tech, technically, maybe my market would be eerie because that's the closest thing, but found us in Pittsburgh, really enjoying the OHL Stories podcast. So fantastic. Joe. Joe, Joe is his name, Mike. Yep. Thanks, Joe. Really appreciated that. That's fantastic. And still- hey, you look. He just real quick, he said he learned of the podcast actually 
from watching a Rangers Erie Otters game on CHL TV. They offered up one of those uh, free views where you can anybody can go on and use the new CHL TV and watch games for free. And uh, now he subscribes on Apple Podcasts and YouTube. So uh, yeah, it's great to have Joe as a listener. I really appreciate it, especially from Pittsburgh. Be like Joe. Yeah, city of champions. My Pittsburgh right? Steelers over there. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, be like Joe, subscribe to the podcast, please leave a review and a rating if you like. And by all means, uh, check out OHL stories on YouTube, because not just this podcast, but lots of other stuff, including coffee reviews and fun stuff on that YouTube channel, too. Vince also reached out from St. Catharines. So thanks to Vince and Bill from uh, Barry he says he's a lo- longtime Barry Colts season ticket holder. OHL is the best. Keep up the good work. This is amazing. And still, I wanted to say this a moment ago. Where are all like I thought for sure it would just be the flood of our neighbors and our family members from Waterloo region. Not one so far. Not one. No, they know us too well to enjoy us. Good point. I think it's I think is what it is. Uh so Barry, St. Catharines, Pittsburgh, all those replies from London a couple weeks ago. We had a lot of London, yeah. When we first put this out. So and on that note, uh we have spent considerable time over the last week scouring the league. Uh, a little more thoroughly for guests. You're going to love, you know, love where we're headed with some of the guests coming up, including the, one of the guests or the guest of this week, who is an all-time top 10 OHL point getter. Can't wait to get to this interview. It's crazy to think when you, when you say that, like all time, like of all the players that have been through this league and he's top 10 in points. It's crazy to think about for me. I just took of all the players to put it in perspective and granted, he spent less time in the league, but John Tavares finished behind this guy in points. So anyway, uh, when I was talking about the, the sighting that you don't get every day, Pope in a bar on this podcast, that way back then was my segue. You can see how professional this all is. But I was going to segue that into something that we saw in a game that we broadcast last week, Popper. That is not something I have seen before in a game. And of course, I'll never say we'll never see it again or something else equally odd but this one was strange because we have seen our share of too many men on the ice penalties but we haven't seen one quite like this so the rangers are playing in sarnia last friday night we're doing the broadcast obviously great broadcast location there right on top of the ice you see everything perfectly and it's 4-3 for the sting in the third period and sarnia's on a power play and so i'm calling the action and all of a sudden out of the corner of my eye Popers like pointing at the ice and then as the second seconds later Sarnia scores and the first words out of your mouth Chris is there's too many men on the ice and I hadn't really noticed because I was focusing on where the puck was and who had it and then you see you see the players celebrate the goal along the half wall on the far side and sure enough it was easy as anything to count all six sting players they then they skated down to do the high five across the bench and I'm still waiting for somebody to jump off the off the ice there were six guys going down the the uh, high five train and uh none of the officials happened to notice that yeah it was it was a weird one to see that many players going down and no ref to notice but um i was adamant almost i shouldn't say adamant i was i was quite curious how the referees wouldn't review it because it's a goal so it's not like you're reviewing just a simple offside you're reviewing a scoring play and it's a pretty easy review. Look at the goal, count the skaters, too many men, goal doesn't count. Um, it does, it's, not, it's certainly not going to take more than 30 seconds. But too many men, 
is a judgment call on the referee because of the line changes and whether they were in the play. But I still feel like you should be able to make a judgment by reviewing the play, especially when there's a goal scored. It's not just like a penalty. I get it if it's a, if it's a penalty, but if the goal is scored and there's too many men on the ice, especially on a power play, it's not like they were going for a line change. They were set up in the zone, three up top, three down low. Um, it was a weird play, something I haven't seen before, and at least I don't think so. But mistakes happen. Whatever. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. I think the the strangeness of the timing of it and how it all happened. Like you said, they were set up three high, three low, six players celebrate. You're just not even thinking of like when, when you see a too many men penalty, it happens at the bench at a line change almost inevitably, except in this particular case. So it is what it is. But it's interesting, too, that you mentioned the review and how this, for whatever reason, is not reviewable because some of the folks on social media after it happened and take that for what it's worth, but they were pretty critical. How can you not review something that led to a goal? It's the most important thing in a game when a goal is scored. Fair comment, which brings us to one of the other things that we saw during our broadcast week. It was quite the broadcast week for us. The Rangers playing in London on Family Day Monday here in Ontario. And not one, but two goals called back in the second period, called back that the Kitchener Rangers thought they had scored called back because of offside. So this is interesting. So I'm talking to the coaches, the Rangers coaching staff after the game. And they said, what was, uh, did you get a look at the second one? Was it offside? And I'm like, the first one, I couldn't see that well because it happened on the near side boards. Again, great broadcast location, but Navrin Mutter was the player and he was on the right wing side of the ice. And that's right against the boards that we're looking down from on that side of the ice. So we couldn't really see puck, his skates, everything is too close to the boards. The second one happened on the far side of the ice, much easier for you and me to see, but right in front of the Kitchener Rangers bench. So obviously the coaches can't see it unless they're looking right over the dashboard or right over the top of the boards. Credit to in London, we've got this beautiful view of the instant replay huge monitors right behind us and they took away the black curtain so we can see everything they see so i'm talking to the coaches after the game they said the first one was definitely offside we couldn't see the second one i said the second one was definitely offside so there you go because we could see the white between the blue line and the puck on the second one either way this is all by explanation here's the thing i want to talk to you about though why why are we going to and this was brought up by Jim on Twitter. So credit to the guy that describes himself on Twitter as the media critic, but I think he makes an interesting point. Yes. I guess by the book, Navrin Mutter was offside carrying the puck over the line backwards, maybe not having control. Yes. On the other side of the ice, Justin Nolay, the Rangers defenseman tried to keep play on side, but it had just come outside the line. And then he shot it back in again, the offside, what happened at the blue line had absolutely no bearing on the goal that was scored. Navarin Mutter maintains possession, comes in and shoots a puck that goes past Brett Brochu, just like hockey is played. You shoot the puck, the goalie tries to stop it. If he doesn't stop it, it's a goal. Justin Olay, yes, didn't quite keep the puck on side, but the puck comes, stay, comes into the zone. The Rangers make a couple of plays. They score a goal. The goal was perfectly legal. Why are we going back and replaying zone entries when it has no bearing on the outcome of the play? Because the rule was broke. That's why I I understand. But I think like, it's not like the player was doing the old fashioned cherry picking that we uh, used to like to talk about. Like he's standing inside the opposing blue line at the top of the circles and somebody fires him a pass in behind everybody. Like that's, 
that's what offside is really all about. The, the player going offside, yes, I know, was offside. The, the officials got it right. I'm just saying, why are we bothering reviewing that when it had no bearing on the way the goal was scored? I think Jim makes a good point. What's the point no. of reviewing offsides and taking stupid back goals? Point. It's a okay. stupid point. How so? That's what, it's, that's what it's there for. You can't be offside. It's the rule. And a goal was scored. The coach wanted to look at it because it was a close play. People make mistakes. It's a close play. So when do you draw the line? Well, this is exactly my point. This is where I'd like the line drawn. Like, I'm not a big fan of instant replay. And listen, I can I can hear the criticisms already. I'm, I'm not complaining that a team got robbed because I'm the broadcaster for the Kitchener Rangers. I'm not saying the Rangers got robbed. I'm, I'm saying that I think Jim brought up a, a really good point in this. I, I don't know why we implemented this rule in the first place because human beings play the game and human beings are going to miss close calls, whatever. It didn't directly impact the goal. A lot happened between the close offside and the goal being scored. By all means, review plays where a goalie was interfered with or a player kicked the puck or threw the puck or however else directed the puck into the net. Do stuff like that where they essentially cheated to score. In this case, they scored fair and square. Like the play could go on for for several minutes and then get called back because of an offside by a quarter of an inch. Give me a break. Yeah, that, that's not scoring fair and square, though. It is so. <laughs> like, nope. No, how, it's not. It's offside. How? It's offside. At the end of the day, like what, they're going to get the call right. So it's yes. not if both those goals that Kitchener scored, they weren't scored fairly. They were offside. That is the rule of the game. You, get, no. you don't get to make up when you like offside and See, when you don't and how no. close it is. This is different now, though. They, it's, they scored the goals fairly. They just didn't enter the zone fairly. That's sure. the truth of it. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So, but why are we, why, why are we so fussy about how they enter the zone? Like we're talking honestly, like by, by, by fractions of inches here. Why, why do we care so much about that? Well, th- you're looking at it just because it's offside and you think it doesn't lead to the goal, but it, it does. does. Lead to the no, goal. it doesn't. It does. It, yes, how it did, does because how the whistle either... would have went if you didn't, if Justin Nolay doesn't keep the puck in, then the whistle would go and then you don't have that play. Navin Mutter, when he entered the zone, the whistle goes if he's offside and then he doesn't even get his shot on Brett Brochu. So it's not fair. You, you can't just decide, oh, I don't like offsides. But if the goal, if the puck goes across the goal line by an eighth of an inch, you want to review that because it's a goal. But if it crosses the blue line at a quarter of an inch, then we can't review it because it takes too much time. It adds an extra four minutes to Jim's day sitting in the rink. Get yeah. over it. I like, listen. I, I'm not. A I fan. understand it's nip. I understand it's nitpicking. Sorry, just real quick. I understand it's nitpicking when you're looking at ooh, is it's super close? It's super close. But that's what it's there for because the refs can pick up normally. The linesmen can pick up the ones that are three feet off, but they even make the mistake. So if I'm on, if I'm Dale Hunter and I'm standing on my bench right at the blue line and the Rangers enter my zone and I know it's offside, but the ref didn't call it. I should have the right to review that play because I know that I got it right. And you did. Yeah. And that's where we're going to disagree on this. I think Jim brings up a really interesting point and an opportunity, frankly, for us as people involved in the game to advocate for change, stop with this goofiness. It's, it's too much. And, and the junior game is awesome because of how quick it is. Anyway, that game went into overtime. It's still played in less than three hours. Like I, I love the pace of the junior game. I just think we are inserting way too much technology. And again, I'm speaking about this 
in sports in general, unless it's that electronic eye in tennis, I don't want reviews. Stop it. That one works perfectly. It takes four seconds. The review is done. Play continues. Football. Remember when they brought an instant replay? Oh, it's going to take two minutes. We'll put the ref under the hood. And they stopped putting the clock on the screen because it always took longer than two minutes. It's dumb. Get it out of the game. And this is a great place to take it out. See, I think it's the perfect place for it. You have to understand that that is there. It's part of the rules. They're going to review it. And the simple review of an offside really isn't that big of a deal when, you know, we talk about broadcasters of the, the game and trying to influence change. I think there's a lot, there's so many different areas we can influence change that would better this game and the people in it versus whether we're once a game taking a look at an offside on a goal. Do you it doesn't happen very, it's not like tennis where it happens. Like I love tennis and I love the, the Hawkeye thing, but it happens every single like rally, every single rally. Oh, no, it see does. What it does they, not. They do. No, but they'll show it. They'll get show so it. They use it as they use it. No, they they use they show it to us on every single play. Like they'll yeah. show it going even if it's not a challenge. The challenge we just see it. It takes four seconds, but they use that Hawkeye almost on every single play just to see how close it was. Ooh, I love it. But that technology isn't in, isn't in hockey rinks and isn't right. So don't waste our time. Tennis, but don't waste our time we, with this nonsense. It drives me nuts. It drives, I, I can't believe that you care this much about reviews for offsides. Yeah, yeah it, because it it's, blows it, my mind. It, it's, it's wasting time. I, I care this much about instant what, replay. Okay, so what what do you want them to do? What do you want them to do? I no want them offside to reviews. Yes. So if there's a three-foot offside and the linesman doesn't call it and Thank some you. team loses a championship. Thank you for making my point. How many? So I was going to bring this up, and I, I'm so bad with the names. I think it was, was it Joyce? The, the umpire that blew the perfect game. Remember? Ron Joyce, Ron yeah. Joyce, Jim Joyce, right? Jim Joyce, whatever Jim Joyce. it was. And I forget the poor pitcher who got the 28 out. Perfect. Because yeah, Jim Joyce, it, the, the player was out, like, I remember watching that game on TV live. And I'm like, how did the umpire get that call wrong? But he did. You rarely, and I mean, rarely see that glaring an offside missed. And if it happens, guess what? It ha- but it is rare, Chris. It it, is. It's not rare, Mike. You, oh you comment on every time they miss an offside during the game. And how many times do you comment on Right. But I said one that's, that is that glaring, right? As glaring as the one that cost that poor kid his perfect game in baseball. Like, I, I, from my perspective, yeah. Oh, that play looked offside. Well, I guess they didn't see it as an offside. Play continues. Life is good. Just, I, I'm just asking. All I'm asking for here is less technological interference in the sports until the games are being played by robots get the cameras out of the way except for the really important stuff and whether or not a puck was two inches offside or a player didn't have perfect control as he skated into the zone backwards that's wasting our time it really isn't it's getting it's getting the play right okay and they're making mistakes it takes two to a long review is probably what four minutes three minutes maybe five do we get up to five on some of them, maybe? But I, though, especially the two in London, they didn't take that long. It was a play on a goal. It's not like they're doing it just to look at an offside because I want the face off to come outside my defensive zone. I'll give you that. That, that might be going a little over the top. Uh, I'd like a neutral zone face off, please. That was offside. Um, no, we don't get that. It's only on goals. I don't mind it. All right. One other big thing in the Ontario Hockey League this week is, of course, the outdoor game to be played between the Oshawa Generals and the Hamilton Bulldogs. Sorry, between the Oshawa Generals and the soon-to-be OHL champion Hamilton Bulldogs. You're welcome. 
listen, I, I think you've picked two great franchises to be a part of this because there's a great venue in Hamilton and the Bulldogs are going to be OHL champs this year. And then Oshawa, one of the most historic teams in the Ontario Hockey League. I got a lot of love for the Jennies. But I'm going to be honest with you. I am so over, and here comes the old man yells at Cloud, but I'm over the outdoor game. We thing. just had I, that. I know. And so that I'm going to, I'm, I'm keeping to type right here. <laughs> I'm going to do it again because I, I am. I'm just, I'm, I'm over the outdoor game thing. Somebody suggested, again, I'm going to give credit to the social media experts in this case, that instead of outdoor games, leagues should look at playing games in historic arenas like Galt arena gardens in Cambridge, which is celebrating a hundred years and collecting memories this year of your games or your times in that arena. That would be an awesome site to play a major junior hockey game, or maybe even an NHL exhibition game just for poops and giggles. I'm just, I'm just kind of over the outdoor game thing. That's all. I, I wouldn't mind seeing them play in, you know, like the Galt gardens, but I, I think it's pretty safe to say that's never going to happen. The Galt gardens hosts, 2,000 people, Iverwin hosts 27,000. Yeah. Roughly. I think even more, 29,000. Are you still calling um, it Iverwin? Really? I do, yeah. Oh, okay. It's, Fair it's enough. Tim Hortons feel, but it, I get once you. you live in Hamilton, it's Iverwin. You know what I mean? It's not like, it's like Maple Leaf Gardens. What do they call it now for U of T or whatever? I don't know. It's Maple Leaf Gardens. It's the Matomy Center. Is that what it is? And the grocery store, whatever. I can't yeah. remember the grocer that's there. That's, that's anyway. the gardens. Yeah. It's like if they threw a name on the odd. How many people are going to call it City News Center? <laughs> that, that's well, that'll odd. never happen because our corporate masters won't put that kind of money up. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Touche. Um, I, I honestly love the outdoor game. Just I, And I, I get completely at the National Hockey League level. Like, I'm not watching too many outdoor games. I'll peek in for five minutes to take a look at it, see the kind of hockey it is, and move on. I'm, I know a lot of diehard NHL fans will probably watch the entire game. Um, but for, as an OHL fan, I think it's awesome. When was the last OHL outdoor game we had? Uh, has, it ever, has it ever happened? Oh, yeah. There were a couple. of They yeah. did them for a couple of years. Plymouth, SAG. I'm trying to remember what the last one was. Sarnia. Windsor, I'm trying to remember the matchups. I should have looked this up before I brought up the subject. But yes, the OHL has done it before. It's been a few years. Yeah, I, I love it. I think every player is going to love it. Imagine, like, think of a guy like we talked about him on this podcast towards the end here, but you get a guy like Arbor Jackeye who goes home to Hamilton to play for his team and is now going to be able to say he played at Iverwind Stadium. Like, that, that is awesome especially for a kid that grew up in that city to be able to play an outdoor game at Iberwin or Tim Hortons field, whatever. Um, I think it, what a, what a time that's going to be for a guy like Arbor. And I, I think all those players are, will remember it. They'll be on this podcast in 10 years, telling us stories about that game and how cold they were and so on and so forth. I, I think it's a great idea to put some eyes on the OHL when you probably don't have that opportunity too often to do, but with the outdoor game already being played in Hamilton and the OHL piggybacks, the, the national league, I love it. Are you going to watch? Are you going to go? I want to go. Yeah. I'll, I'll do what you do with the NHL games, which is what I do with them now. Check in, see what things look like and then move on. I just think as a, as a gimmick, it was, it was cute for a while, but I, I, I just would like to see something different now, but Maybe people say the same thing about this podcast. Hey, nice gimmick, guys. Time for something different. I don't know. That's fair. How many? How many people do you think? Twenty nine thousand it holds. Do you yeah, think they, the, like? Do you think you can sell that out? Uh, for 
for Hamilton Bulldogs, Oshawa Generals, I love them. I, I love this league. No, I, I don't oh. think you can. But listen, you've, you've I even got just a- thought like all 20, whoops, or pardon me. Um, I think let's say 20 players minus the imports. Let's even say 15 players from each team. All their friends and family will want to go to that game. You never know. Oh, yeah. And I think it'd be awesome. You'll draw some just for the novelty of an outdoor hockey mm-hmm. game for sure. But I think you're going to be hard pressed to put 29,000 people. Either way, I'll, I wish them success. It's a lot of people. <laughs> I will also wish that uh, moving forward, we come up with, and, and I'll just give credit again to the, the Twitterverse. I don't think it's a terrible idea to say, hey, let's play these gimmick, if you will, games in historical arenas. And I say that as a huge fan of the arena where we get to do most of our work because it's very unique in the OHL. Everything else is becoming, well, we talked about the two rinks we were in this past week, Sarnia and and London. London is certainly a step up and newer than Sarnia, but Sarnia and London are these cookie cutter type, you know, put two bowls in there and give everybody their creature comforts kind of arena that's coming up. Meridian Center in St. Catharines is the same. Windsor, I mean, just go on and on. Beautiful, love them. But some of those classic barns, oh boy, you're in Listowel as we speak. Sure. How about the old Listy Arena? Wouldn't that have been fun? They tore it down. I know. Um, that's what I'm like, back in the, come on. If we don't get one in the Almond Arena before it's too late, uh, let's go. But have you ever been to the new Listowel Arena? Yes. It's hilarious. It's like, it's like they just built their old one. It's so funny. They, Zamboni comes out from the same spot, warm room, same spot, everything. It's hilarious. Sure. Of course. Uh, speaking of hilarious. You're going to Sorry, get- just real quick. If you yeah. want to go and if you want to see a hockey game at the Allman Arena or you want to see a game at Galt Gardens, go watch a game. It doesn't need to be the OHL. You can go watch the Cambridge Red Hawks or the Stratford Culletons Warriors. Um, the Culletons, the greatest junior B franchise of all time. Listen, I wasn't behind the name change. Don't let's not no, go down I, that I know. Path. I'm just, as you can tell, what's with me and old names? Ivor Wynn, Culletons. Anyway, that's all. Okay. Oh, you know what the old name of the uh, Budweiser Gardens is? The John Labatt Center. How do you like yeah, that old told. name, pal? I don't yeah. like it. <laughs> I don't uh, like it at all. I, I was about to say a moment ago, speaking of hilarious, just remember this line that you will get delivered by our guest this week. Give me a Joe Louie and a hot dog, and I'll play for you. That's the kind of content we're getting from our guest on OHL Stories this week. Yes, he's a top 10 all-time OHL scorer, former Kitchener Ranger, former North Bay Battalion, uh-uh. Trevor. Oh, sorry, North Bay Centennial. My Thank apologies. you. Old names. Yeah. Let's go. I, right? My throwback. And I dropped the ball on that one. Oh, such trash. Do you want me to start it over? Can we edit no, this? I think, no, we're uh, not going to edit kidding. anything. No, this I know. <laughs> it's all live. Uh, Trevor Gallant, also known as T-Bone. So, Trevor, I want to start out here. I was listening to an interview the other day with Gerard Gallant, and the one, the opening question I'm going to repeat to you, because there's often, when Gerard, obviously, famous across hockey circles, but the question is, Gallant, Gallant, you've probably heard it a lot. Which one is it? Gallant, Gallant? Well, you know what's funny? I, I, I actually uh, didn't hear that question for Gerard, um, but I'm, I'm guessing he may have answered it the same way I'm going to. Um, it depends on where you are. Um, you know, like if you're out East where my parents are actually really originally from where Gerard's from PI, um, I would believe it's Gallant. Um, and then down here in Ontario, they say Gallant. <laughs> I've also heard Gallant a couple of times <laughs> over the years. So there is actually three ways to say it. So I would say where I'm, where I am now in London here in Ontario, I would say more often it's Gallant, 
but go out east, which I have done in the past quite a bit. Gallant is the way you do it out there. So I think it's safe to say it's Gallant then. Yeah, I would say. If they're doing it that way out there, I mean, that's what we should be doing. Absolutely. The interesting thing about that, when it comes to the pronunciation, it would have been made more than 400 times in your junior hockey career <laughs> at various arenas. And I'm sure you got a bunch of different pronunciations of it. But to this day, and it, the, what stood out to me about the stats, seventh overall in OHL scoring history, but nobody has had as many points since you left the game. I think it speaks to the eras, but interesting. How does it feel to still hold that status, though, 30 years later? Uh, to be honest, um, you know, it's a bit odd. Like, I don't think about it too often. Like, I have friends of mine, and they, you know, they poke at me the odd time, and, you know, they tell their kids and stuff. So, you know, I have to stay relevant in the game. So they got to tell their kids a little bit of something about myself to get them to come to my programs. But, um, <laughs> you know, I'm a little outdated to them, right? Um, but, you know, to be honest, I mean, it's, it's pretty cool. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm pretty proud of it. Um, you know, I, I am surprised, to be honest, that things haven't changed much up there. Um, I guess the errors have completely changed. I mean, I think in a real fast, um, at a fast pace, you know, I think there's probably nineties, early two thousands. And then boom, I feel like the game itself exploded with, with, a, uh, with talent, uh, speed, strength, uh, which, you know, the game totally changed. So, um, you know, what I've been able to do, what I did now, I don't really know. I can't answer that question. Um, but I think it was probably a little bit harder to come by uh, maybe the, the points or the goals that he assists the last 10, 15 years. Um, and I think too, um, a lot of the players that, you know, I did, you know, uh, I think you guys would know this by looking at the stats. Like I did get five seasons in, you know, um, you know, you know, did I miss some game? Sure. But um, you know, the kids today now that are the real elite players, um, they're not right. The, 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 the NHL and, they've opened the door to, to younger, younger players. It's a younger league now. So, you know, I didn't get to go and play on to the national hockey league. Of course, it's still a, you know, a thorn on my side about that, but um, you know, I think that's probably a little bit why as well, the youth in the NHL. As a London kid, what was it like playing for the Kitchener Rangers? <laughs> you know, it's funny. Yeah, it was, it was great. I mean, I, I actually, I actually would never trade that um, the experience of moving away. Um, I was very lucky enough to, to be close to home that if I wanted to come home, I could, um, you know, when I was a younger, younger boy, of course, I used to watch the nights at the old London gardens and, you know, it was a big deal. Um, but to be honest, I think back in the day, it's such a, a whirlwind of like things happening so fast. You don't even get time to sit down and really look at the big picture, you know? So, um, I used to love coming back to, to play in London, which was a great treat for me. And, you know, obviously having friends and family to come watch you play and, and stuff like that. So um, obviously, you know, always wanted to win that game. Um, we have great success over the years against them, but, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I used to love coming back home to play for sure. You mentioned a moment ago, not having had that chance to play in the national hockey league. And I'm sure Trevor Gallant today looks at that differently than Trevor Gallant in the early 1990s, when you're tearing up the Ontario hockey league and you can't get a look from a pro team. What was that like for you as a teenager, when you're saying, come on, NHL, I'm right here. Hmm. That's a tough one. You know, it's actually pretty emotional for me. You know, um, it was, uh, it was a tough time because I guess when you're that young, um, you really don't understand it. Right. I look back now and I could look at it differently. Like you just mentioned. Um, 
you know, I think I thought I was doing everything I could do. In reality, I probably wasn't. Um, you know, could I have worked harder in the gym being a smaller player, you know, 1000%, you know, um, I think today, if I would have had a little more support, I think today you'd have a little more of the staff and the way they set things up. It's so professional that they keep you on that line. And I would have benefited from that, you know, having someone kind of guide me down a path and say, I'm going to put some time into to Trevor and, and, you know, keep them, keep them in the gym or keep them, you know, get them 10% faster. Cause really, I think the only thing that really helped me back was probably my overall uh, breakaway speed being able to break away from opponents. So I think that was probably it. I don't think my height really hurt me or my strength. I think it was probably just my breakaway speed that really, and maybe that I didn't score enough goals. Like I, I passed the puck a lot as more of a playmaker. And when you were small back then, I think they wanted you to score, you know, you know, 30 or 40 or 50 goals in the, in the NHL. Um, like some guys were able to do. And that really wasn't my forte until I got a bit older. I was able to score more, but looking back, I could have done things better. I could have, I could have worked harder for sure. Um, I do have regrets about that but at the same time you're young and you know when you're always kind of the the, the guy um you're like it, I wouldn't say it came easy to me and I would never say that I worked hard in the games I think I really worked hard in hockey it was more practice and outside the rink and those types of things that uh, maybe I wasn't so great at um so but at the time you're you know you're 17 18 19 you've always were able to play at the highest level without doing those things and all of a sudden, one day, it was just ripped away from you, right? So it was definitely tough. When I went to my fourth year back in Kitchener, I went to training camp. And uh, I'll keep names out of it because I respect all the guys that were able to get an opportunity. Uh, but, you know, guys were packing up their bags to go to NHL camps. And I just came up 120-point season. And I had nothing. And on playing exhibition games, it hurt me. Like, it was tough. It was really tough. So it was, you know, it wasn't a good year and a half for me at that point, put it that way. How much did the did that play into your mindset as a kid? Like you must have been struggling mentally at that time watching that happen. Yeah, it was tough. I mean, I'm I'm an open book. Like you know, like I, I have no problem talking about it. Like I'm old now, and if anyone can learn from it, you know, I'd absolutely would love, would love that to happen. Um, yeah, it was frustrating. I was I was angry. You know, I took it out on probably the rookies. You know, I probably took it out on my parents. Um, you know, I remember leaving the rank with my skates. Um, after I, I think Joe had put up the, and nothing against Joe. I mean, I'm just saying the story, you know, it was, it was a dark time because I remember them putting up the roster for an exhibition game and here I am in my fourth year and I'm thinking, okay, I'm not going to play exhibition games. Like, why would I, right? Like just the way it's supposed to happen, right. Or whatever. And I'm in this lineup. I'm like, guys, guys going to NHL camps, you know, I'm in this lineup. It's, it's a little bit embarrassing. I remember grabbing my skates and leaving the room and throwing them against the wall. Like I was that upset, you know, it just, it was, it was tough. It was, I held a lot of ang anger for a lot, to be honest, a lot of years, probably four or five years, to be honest. So how much of that experience, Trevor, do you work to instill in the kids you work with today through your school, the kids that you're scouting and maybe talk to? Yeah, I think, uh, I think nowadays it's been proven over and over. I think years ago, there's more of a template. I think it was like, here's your cookie cutter. This is the player has, to, you know, this is what has to happen. You know, that's changed. I think a bit, you know, the opportunity there for anything I think is open, whether you're small, tall, big, doesn't really matter. I think that they're, the game has uh, opened their minds to uh, kids that might develop later. 
um, you know, uh, different assets they might provide. So my thing is, you know, trying to make the complete hockey player, whether I'm scouting, coaching kids, I, I coach in the, the minor midget level with the Elgin Middlesex Chiefs. Um, and uh, I have my, my tag hockey company in London here. And my thing is, like, how do I, how do I make the complete hockey player? That if, if he's trying to make a junior B, junior A, a minor pro, European pro team, like doesn't matter. Like if they go there and, you know, let, that's not working for them, they can adapt and become this to support the team, right? So let's say it's, you know, third line, fourth line guy, um, left winger, but he plays right wing. But have I taught him enough that he can go in that position and feel comfortable? So I try and teach the game as a whole um, and then break the game down. So, you know, and give the kids hope that, you know, I have lots of stories. I'm 47. You guys have heard lots of stories about guys that were never drafted. There's been tons of them, even in my era, right? Lots of guys that weren't drafted and went on to have great careers. So, um, you know, enjoy the game for what it is and don't take it for granted is kind of my message. Uh, and then, you know, work extremely hard. When you were younger and growing up, how did you fall in love with the game? Uh, that's a good question. You probably get this a lot from, from guys that play. I mean, I, I don't really remember. I just remember um, going to the rink one day. Um, vaguely remember this going into the room and the coach was there and I was probably four or five. And I remember, I don't think I was late, but wasn't early. And I remember a lot of the jerseys were kind of taken. And uh, I remember I looked at the wall and there was number eight, number 11. And um, I just liked the way number 11 looked. And then that was it. I wore number 11 my pretty much my whole career after that. Uh, but that's when, you know, I think that's when it started my first time on the ice where it was somewhat competitive, not like learn to skate or it was actually like got a puck and you tried it. And then I was, I was just good right away. And I think from there it just took off. Just on the heels of that, when did you know, you said you were good, but when did you know I'm better than people I'm playing with? I have a real future in this game. You know, what's funny. That's a tough, you know why that's tough to answer is because I'll be honest up until um, when I was drafted in the OHL, I never thought it's weird. I never thought that much about it, you know, to be honest. Now, when I was, you know, minor Adam and major Adam and things like that. Yeah. Like, you know, I was getting a hundred and 200 goals a year, whatever, like, you know, it was just so much more advanced than everyone else. So I knew I was really good. And you'd walk into an arena at a tournament and people, even back then, like you were like a little celebrity, right. And the other guys, my age, like, you know, there was kind of a core of us in Ontario, like Chris Gratt and Todd Harvey, you know, we all kind of knew each other because we were kind of the cream of the crop. So you're like a little celebrity, right. People would stare at you and go, that's that kid. Or so it was kind of weird, you know, um, I knew I was, you know, um, you know, uh, I didn't know I was going to go anywhere, or have a career. I didn't, I didn't really think about it. I just, I did know quite early that I was better than most kids to answer your question. Along those lines, because, and, and I, I love the honesty about looking back to who you were at the time and how angry you were with things, not maybe working out the way you had dreamed they would in the game, but you had yourself and so much to talk about in Europe after this, but you had a hell of a junior career. You're tearing it up and proving that you're more than capable in the Ontario hockey league. Can you, can you think back on a highlight? I mean, when you look back on your days in junior, what stands out the most? Jeez. That's a very good question. I wasn't, I wasn't fortunate enough to win a championship. That would, that would be number one. I believe that's why we played the game. Um, you know, I guess probably if I could pick maybe a couple would be, uh, you know, maybe my first year um, playing my first OHL game was very special um, and then my first year, I, you know, I had a pretty good season. And in one of the games I had, I think five or six points, 
like a goal and five assists or four assists or something. And that was pretty cool being a younger guy. And then probably just within the Ontario hockey league, I have other like, you know, things that I'm pretty proud of, but um, when I got my fourth point, I was in North Bay and they, you know, stopped the game and they announced it and stopped. And that was pretty cool, I guess. So, I mean, if you break it down that way, I mean, it's probably those two things. I mean, being drafted by Kitchener and nothing, nothing bad to say about Kitchener. I mean, I, I had a wonderful time there. Um, you know, a lot of experience and it was great. But if I broke it down, probably a couple of those things would be. What was it like as a, as a London kid? You watch games at that ice house growing up, but then you get drafted by Kitchener and you walk in to the odd as a ranger what was that feeling like oh my god <laughs> it was pretty amazing man like god i wish you could put it in a bottle right like honestly like the feeling you have like um you felt like you had you uh, you almost felt like you you made it somewhere you know like you know and then i don't know it was like you're, it's almost like your mini nhl i guess right like it's not nhl but at that age it's kind of like that feeling to you um i guess if i could make it simple um it was a wonderful feeling. Like when I walked, I was drafted at the odd, right? Like they held the draft, right? So, you know, they selected me and I remember it's been in the paper. It wasn't the paper back in the day, but the fans were very happy with Joe McDonnell when they drafted me. Um, you know, they were, I think they were chirping about, you know, whatever, being a, a tiny person or whatever. Um, but uh, that was my first take on the odd, right? Like, I mean, I might've been there when I was younger as a kid, but you know, um, it was great. Like, you know, first time stepping on the ice for training camp. And, um, you know, I loved it. It was great. It's a great, it was a great arena. I loved it. It was awesome. So from that cathedral that it's still known as on the junior hockey circuit today, what was your least favorite building to go into and why was it Windsor? (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. Ah, where did I, I'm trying to think about that now. It's been so long, you know, to be honest, Mike, like, trying to definitely Windsor was not much fun to go into just greasy and small and fans on top of you. And like, like an odor, you know, like you were in like a bar at like four in the morning. Um, you know, that was pretty, pretty dingy there. So I would probably say that's right up there and caught me off guard there. I'm trying to think of somewhere else. I didn't really like to go play. Um, North Bay. North Bay. I actually, I actually like North Bay a lot. Actually ice was great up there. Love the ice, beautiful ice. Um, but yeah, Windsor wasn't much fun. I used to like going to Windsor for one reason. We used to go to Charlie's for pregame meal and they had good chicken wings. And going back to where I could have worked harder, chicken wings, you know, whatever I was having for pregame meals, right? I was that in the belly skating around. Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> 17, 18 didn't bother me, you know. Uh, but the Joe Louis before the games were, were not, were not, uh, Joe didn't like that very much. He caught me one time eating the Joe Louis. We're going to own sound and, anyway good story he was he came to the back of the bus to go to the washroom and all the bets were back there and i think i was opening a joe louis for pretty like just as a snack he's like jesus christ what the hell are you doing anyway so how was joe as a coach joe was great i think joe was uh i really liked joe a lot i mean he was uh um like he's had such a great career in the game um i think it just kind of shows you what kind of hockey mind he really is um, you know, do I think my years, my first year, couple years, was it better? Yeah, I do. I believe that. Honestly, I think at some point, I think was it time for Joe to move on? Yeah, I think it was. Like we all have to kind of, you know, was it time for me to move on mentally? Yeah, it was when I left. You know, um, you know, were the first couple years better with Joe? Yeah, I think they were. 
I think it got harder for him and, you know, being around and being there a long time. And it is, it is tough as a coach, you know? So, um, but yeah, nothing, nothing bad to say all positive with Joe. He, he treated me very fair, even after I made some, some mistakes and, um, you know, bent the rules a little bit, you know, he, you know, he welcomed me back with open arms and, and, and things like that. So, you know, I knew he always kind of liked me as a player because I think he knew I'd, I'd be there a long time and score lots of points. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, diff- you going to tell us which rules you broke? Sorry, Mike. No, can't get into that one. That's uh, okay. that's in the vault. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> How how difficult is it, Trevor, as a player on a team when the coach changes? So Jeff Ward comes in, right? All of a sudden there's a different voice and the guy that you were used to is no longer there. What's that like as a player? That's a good question. Um I've had it a few times in my career. Um, I don't mind it. I think it's good. I think there's, it's weird. It's like an automatic uh, excitement that comes in. It doesn't matter who it is. It's just, it's a change. And it's almost, you're kind of like uh, you're, the anticipation about what may happen is, is there. And I think it, uh, you know, it makes it, it makes it good. I think it brings life into the room. Um, nothing against the coaches that are being relieved, but it's just the way it is. The game it gets stale. Right. And I think that's the hardest part of being a coach. I would say the hardest part is to, to keep things fresh and new and uh, you know, the emotions where they need to be, it's very difficult. So new coaches coming in, I think they've got a, a way to do that. So um, when, when Jeff came in, he was great. I mean, I, I actually played for Wardy down in, in East coast league a bit too, after he had left them. And he's, he's mapped out a great career too, just kind of plugging along there doing the coaching stuff. So um, but yeah, he was good coming in again. I wasn't there much that long with him. Cause then I was, I was, I was traded um but it was definitely fine it was good you talk about that trade and I was joking about arenas you didn't like I said North Bay because you went up there obviously right um but there's a great story about that trade with just everything happened before heading up to Owen Sound and then getting up to Owen Sound and playing in that game what was that whole process like for you yeah you guys probably know the story like you know I think the uh, Kitchener had you know decided to kind of do a bit of a rebuild and you know kind of move on some of their older guys um and so before we left for the trip, um, you know, three or four guys got called down to the office and then it was just pandemonium, right? Like, you know, the kids talk and what's going on and, you know, big Dick Chambers was, you know, pulling name bars on and off. I'm like, what the heck, you know? And I, I had assumed I would be traded, um, but I never got the call. And then of course you hear the rumors that yes, I was going to be traded. I had to go on the bus and go down to Owen Sound, you know, kind of knowing this is my last game. So I, I played really well. I remember playing really well and being happy if I played. I might have had a few points. And I remember thinking, you know what, you know, I left, I left the kitchen and playing a really good game. And I didn't want to leave it like giving up, you know, that's not my style. So I went down to kitchen or two. And then when we got back, like whatever, two in the morning or whatever time it was in the morning, that's when um, I was called down to the office and was told that I was treated to, uh, you know, and then I got a garbage bag out and <laughs> started packing myself up. <laughs> so much I want to unpack there. Because uh, I, I want to talk about the the next ch- adventure too, but let's just stay on that for a minute. Because Chris and I from the media side, and, and so many fans get invested in January the 9th, right? Because mm-hmm. the day before the trade deadline, the rumors fly. And you just mentioned, you, you figured you were going to be traded. What's that? What's that like? And how much attention were you paying to the trade deadline? at that time as a junior player? A lot, yeah, a lot. I mean, it was, you know, it's where you're going to move to, right? It's not just going, you know, to play one game and coming home. You're moving to a city, like could have been one of, you know, whatever, you know, 16 teams or whatever it was back then. Um, so yeah, it was on my mind. Um, 
And I wasn't sure it was going to happen. You know, I had requested a trade. Um, you know, it was time for me to move on. Uh, I was stale, um, you know, with what I talked about prior, uh, you know, negativity and a lot of anger. Um, it just wasn't going the way I wanted to. I'm not blaming anybody, part, part of my fault, but I need to move on. So, you know, we did kind of request a trade prior to that. Could have even been, I don't remember the dates, but could have been even months before that. You know, I don't know exactly. Um, so, yeah, I was thinking about it quite a bit. Um, but again, you're a kid. It's weird. Like, I don't know. You just, you just kind of deal with it. It's weird. But I think equally weird then, if I can just follow this up, you meet your new team, if I'm not mistaken, the North Bay Centennials on a bus somewhere around Peterborough at a highway rest stop. And so the first time you meet your new teammates, you're walking onto the bus as the new kid. Yeah, absolutely. 100% true. My parents drove me down. We played in Kitchener that night. Like now, after we played in Owen Sound, I don't know how many days it was. It was probably two days later. I know my parents came down from London and picked me up and we drove to Peterborough. We played them that night. And so, yeah, so I had my my stuff, my gear. I had probably a couple suitcases. And yeah, it was either at a rest stop or a parking lot somewhere. And yeah, just, you know, the coach came off. Uh, Shane Parker was the coach then. Um, came off, shook his hand and went on the bus. So, yeah, like you get on the bus, right? Like, you know, talk about, you know, Forrest, the Forrest Gump scene pretty much, right? He gets on the bus. You know, where do I sit, right? So with, with that many points in your back pocket, did you just walk to the back of the bus and say, my seat? Hey, get out of here. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. No, but they were great. Like, I mean, I think I, I probably knew a couple of the guys anyway, but no, I, yeah, was I nervous doing that? Sure. I was, you know, it was, it was weird. And then putting on that Jersey that night to play a game was even more, you know, more uh, kind of uh, difficult for sure. It was odd. It was definitely took me some time. Did you ever second guess yourself? You said you were a setup guy. Did you ever like look around? Like, where's the Ranger jersey out here? Where am I supposed to put this puck? <laughs> no, I don't think that happened. No, I don't think that happened. But I can see how that could happen for sure. But we were, yeah, we were. That night was good because the colors weren't close to Kitchener, so um, <laughs> it was a good experience for sure. And then you know, going there in North Bay. Now you're in a smaller town up north, so you know. Let's face it, you know, the different cities, different areas of Ontario, you're gonna have different mentalities and different ways of life, and. You know, so yeah, it was different up there for sure, but I fit in good. I, I liked it. You said that it was time for you to leave and have a different uh, scenery around you and stuff, but then you go to North Bay and then in that final year, you guys only had 14 wins. How frustrating was it to put up a hundred plus points, but your team still only has 14 wins? Um, yeah, it was really frustrating. I think when I went up there the year prior, at uh, the deadline, like they had a really good team. I mean, I know they were probably ranked in the top five or six in the CHL at that time. And they just came off a championship season the, the year prior. So, you know, that was our run, right? Um, knowing that, you know, the older guys were all gone. And, you know, I didn't really put all this together at the time, to be honest. You know, I didn't really know. Um, so, you know, I think the fact that they went through the, the the war and the bruises the year prior when I went traded there, you know, the the same – the same uh, fire in the belly, whatever you want to call it, wasn't wasn't quite the same. So we didn't have a great great playoffs. We're out. So then, of course, the next year, that was my overage year. I, I mean, would I have rather gone and play pro? Yeah, hundred um, percent. You know, I didn't want to go to the East Coast League. I thought, why would I do that now? Just go, maybe have a good year, maybe light it up, and maybe get an American League contract. Or if really lucky enough, if I did really improve in the things I needed to improve in you know, maybe an NHL two-way contract or something. Um, so that's why I went back. But yeah, it was, uh, we had a really young team, really young team. It's, it's really no one's fault. We tried hard. 
Um, but we had a really young team, you know, we had guys that were late, late picks, you know, playing as rookies and, um, you know, but then 105 points, you know, I think that was, that that's actually pretty, you know, pretty impressive to be honest. Um, I think the, the guy they gave the OHL player of the year to was maybe Danny Brand at the time. He might have had a few points more than me, but played on a really good team. So, um, what can you do? Right. It, it occurs to me that that London to Kitchener to North Bay as a young man is is certainly one thing, but just listening to you talk about maybe getting a, an AHL contract, a two-way NHL contract, doesn't happen. So all of a sudden it's London to Kitchener to North Bay to a whole damn new continent, and off you go to, to play hockey in Europe. What was that transition like for you? It was really weird. I went So after my overage year in, in North Bay, obviously we didn't make the playoffs. I, uh, I was called by um, some uh, East Coast League teams. Not just loaning type thing, right? Like I wasn't able to commit to a whole bunch um, or sign like a, you know, two-year thing or anything. I just thought, well, I might as well keep playing hockey, right? And they're going to pay me some money. I thought, wow, this will be cool. So, uh, yeah, I got a call from Rick Vive, who was coaching down in South Carolina for the Stingrays. And I thought, hmm, hockey down south this time of year. North Bay, South Carolina, you know, Charleston, pretty easy decision, man. Like it was – pretty simple. So yeah. So I went down and, and, and played for Rick Vi for about, I was there maybe two months. It was a great experience. Um, that was awesome. And then I was kind of stuck not knowing what to do. I, I thought about going to school. Um, I thought about maybe going out east to school, um, use some of my school package. Um, but you know, I wasn't really a student, you know, so I thought, you know, maybe that's not the right choice. So yeah, I just had an agent that got me an opportunity in Finland. And I thought, you know, it was, uh, I think 35,000 us dollars, the contract. I thought, Jesus, I started doing the, the equations back in Canada. I was like, this is good money to play hockey. It's the same as what you make in the American league, if not more, because they, you know, they pay for your house and give you a car with your name on it and number on it and all this. So I did that. Now, did I love Finland? No, I didn't love it. It was okay. There's some language barrier and, you know, it's cold and dark in the winters. And, you know, was I homesick at times? Yeah. My, my wife, my girlfriend at the time, my wife now did come over with me and uh, we had our first baby there so my son Tristan was born in Finland um, just after I turned 22 so um, that's how it all began for the pro hockey and then it became more about where can I make the most money to you know feed my family basically you know Um, so yeah so yeah it was it was uh, it was good I mean I was I always thought I'd be going to Europe to be honest guys because you know it was almost like someone was always in the back of my mind saying or someone was kind of you know whispering to me you know, you should go to Europe, you should go to Europe, you know, like that's where, you, you know, you would excel because the ice is bigger and, you know, you're a smaller stature guy. And, you know, at this point in the career or this point of the era of the NHL, they're not, you know, looking at guys that are five, six or whatever. And so that's kind of how I ended up going there. And then it was just kind of, you know, Team Canada, then bouncing around a bit over there and stuff. North Carolina won the championship the next year, I think, didn't they? <laughs> I think they might have. Yeah, I think they, they did. wanted me to come back. Like Rick was... Rick was really happy with me and they, they really wanted me to come back. Um, I just, I don't know why I didn't go back. I, I don't really remember why. I just, I thought, like I said, everyone's telling me to go to Europe. And I thought that's a lot more money than I would have made in the East Coast League. You know, so was it money driven? Maybe, I don't know. What was it like playing in Charleston though in that uh, ice palace? It was unreal, man. Like, yeah, I couldn't sweep it. Yeah, it was so cool. Like my first night there, I got picked up by one of the vets. Uh, he took me to where he was living and it was like on the ocean. I was like, so I'm, I'm, I'm waking up in the morning to the sound of the ocean. I'm like, you know, it's like a dream really, to be honest. Then we drive to the rank and we're like, 
it's a beautiful day, flip-flops on, you know, palm trees. You're like, really? This is what it can be? And like, and the rink was just a beautiful arena, like perfect arena for, for a, for a ECHL team, like unreal and a good facility, great dressing room, treated us unreal. Like it was a great experience. Was Europe what you expected it to be? Like we hear all the time and you referenced that, you know, the bigger ice surface may be suited to your style of play. Is, is it what you expect it to be in terms of the caliber of the game? I would say if I go back to when I first went over there it was 97. Um, that I was actually expecting it to be, I, I was, I was surprised how good it was. So the opposite, I was, you know, I wasn't really sure to be honest. But when I went to play in the top league in Finland, like I was like a rookie, like, you know, if Oda went there when I was 25, 27, I probably would have done very well. But imagine a guy going into the National Hockey League at 20 or 21, like it takes time, right? And it takes time to get those opportunities. So I just thought I'd go there and just play and be able to do what I do. But I couldn't, you know, like I could have eventually. So I was the, the top the SM league in Finland was, was super amazing, like blown away by how good it was, to be honest. That was my first experience. So, you know, it was, uh, I was, uh, my eyes were open. Did you know you were going to play for Team Canada in the Spangler or how'd that come up? So I was actually, uh, so after the year in Finland, um, you know, they still have the national team program at this point, like the old team that would play in the Olympics, basically. Right. And uh, do all the big tournaments, Deutschland Cup, Esbeskia tournament, Spangler Cup and all these things. So they still have that program going. I think that it just disbanded in like early 2000s. Um, but they used to have this team. So I knew Mike Johnson and, and Andy Murray quite well because I had played for um, Mike Johnson for Team Unt- or Team Canada U18. Um, so that was kind of a bit of a connection there. And so I had called Mike. I didn't really know what to do. I was kind of lost for what I was going to do. And he's like, why don't you come to our main camp in Calgary? Um, to try out for this team Canada, like the national team program. And that would open doors because, you know, now you're traveling all these, these countries and people are there watching you. So, and plus on your resume, I think people in Europe would like to have a Canadian national team player on there. So it just seemed like a good idea. So I I got invited to to, to the camp in Calgary and I made the team. There was like 80, 90 kids there. uh, And I made the team, but I didn't make the team right away. Um, there was so many, some ex-NHL guys, some American League players that were kind of going that route. We left on the first tour across Canada to play like Team Czech or something. And we all left there, um, Calgary. And uh, I had like a hat trick my first game. And Mike's like, we got to sign you. Like, So anyway, so I made the team. I wasn't given a spot. I'm pretty proud of that because I actually made that team. And it wasn't an easy team to make. But, you know, it was a wonderful experience. So the Spanler Cup, what happened back then, it's different now was the Team Canada National Team program would send their guys. But that doesn't mean everyone would get to play in the tournament, right? They would pick up guys, real, like, big wheels that maybe just retired at the NHL playing in Switzerland or playing in Germany, and they'd bring seven, eight, nine, ten of these guys in, right, to join the roster and sit some guys out that are on the national team. Um, so that kind of gives you a little background there. So I was actually able to play. I was not one of the ones that got, had to sit out. So basically, I was on the Team Canada already, went to Switzerland for into Davos, and uh, like our first two lines, which I was on one of them, got to play in the whole tournament. And that's when I met Brian Bellows. Brian Bellows was there on our team. 
Um, great guy. Like, I was like, wow, this guy's unreal. But I could tell why he played the NHL. Like, so strong, like just a beast, right? Big hands, just strong. Anyway, so it was good to meet him. And we had a great time. I mean, I learned a lot from those guys. I was still young then. But yeah, I got to win a Spangler Cup. We won, the, we won, the, won it that year and it was pretty special. I got to ask, because you just brought up that name. And when people talk about Kitchener Rangers alumni that made an impact, uh, Brian Bellows and, and Trevor Gallant, the, your names come up consistently. And of course, you were different eras of the team. But running into him as a former Kitchener Ranger overseas must have been something. Oh, it was unreal. Like, you know, he had, I think he actually went back and played a little more in the NHL after that. He was playing in Switzerland or something. I'm not really sure. I can't remember, but he was a wonderful guy. Like, you know, just, you know, like you meet these guys, even though we had a bit of a similar career in the OHL, his stature obviously is much more than me outside the OHL. And, you know, the respect he showed for me, like we just sat there one time at the bar, like after we won it and like, we just talked and I was like, he was talking to me, talking to me like I was one of his teammates, like, you know, and I've met a lot of guys that don't do that. You know, I've met a lot of guys that have played at high levels of hockey that, you know, just the way they're born, their personalities, but BB was, uh, was a wonderful guy. Wasn't Jason Spezza on that team? So Spezza played the year after I played. So I played 97, 98. He played 98, 99. I was actually playing in Italy the next year of my team Canada. And that's when Spezza was playing. I came home from Italy and they were actually doing a tour around Ontario. So Mike had asked me to come play a couple of games with them. And so I played with Spezza throughout that time. We played like two or three exhibition games. But uh, Jason played that year um, as a 15-year-old. I think he was 15 or maybe was he 15? Jeez, I can't even remember. Maybe he was a little, maybe he was 16. Anyway, he was he was pretty phenomenal. While we're talking about all these different players, you, you did mention a, a, a bit back about Todd Harvey, Chris Gratton, and you kind of coming up together into Major Junior. Did you keep an eye on them and what they were doing, how they were performing compared to what the numbers you were putting up? Uh, throughout the OHL, you mean? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I didn't make it a massive deal. I think those guys are elite hockey players. and But, I mean, you become so close to these guys. Like, I mean, at some point, especially when you've been there a couple of years, I mean, you know everybody. And you're chirping everybody on the ice, along with the referees, right? You know, I mean, it doesn't stop. I mean, you become like, a, like almost like an OHL family, which is kind of weird to say. Of course, you want to win games. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know we had some history with these guys, right? So you'd always meet, you know, even before a game, maybe go out and go for a little walk around the corridor and, you know, say, Hey, how's it going? Like, you know, have plans to meet up or after the game, make sure you go over to their room and say, Hey, how's it going? Harv or Gratz or whoever else. Right. Like, so, yeah, I mean, you know, you definitely know what's going on for sure. Were you a talkative guy on the ice? Yeah, I was okay. I don't think I was like some guys, but I was a little bit, I guess I was a little bit. I wouldn't say a lot. Easterners are talkers, though. They're just going to go out there because oh. everyone loves them. They're just out there. Hey, buddy. Hey, hey buddy. Easterners also have a bit of a rough side. They like to throw some fists yeah. from every yeah. now and then. And uh, I mean, yeah, Galance, you don't need to look too far to find some fist like throwers. I wasn't scared, no? right, but I definitely wasn't a like Gerard was like tough as nails for his size. Like if you go back to that era when Gerard was playing, like he was tough, man. Pound for pound. Like he was a, I love that guy. Like I used to go to PEI and do was like, he didn't maybe own the hockey schools, but like, that's when I first met him. 
when I was a kid, like 10, 11 years old, my parents would go down there and I'd do a hockey school down there. Well, Gerard was always around. So Gerard, like we're going back years ago when, when he was, you know, when I was 12, 13, maybe like he'd get me tickets for games in Detroit. So the families are somehow either sec, well, everyone's related in PEI because there's a million Gallants, right? Or Gallants, sorry. Um, so yeah, but he was tough as nails. But there was a lot of other, a lot of other Gallants that came through that were pretty tough, actually. Who was it with you at the time with the Rangers that played that role to make sure perhaps that you didn't have to? Um, so when I first came there, like, you know, the, the ins and outs were the, you know, the, the kids, players coming in, players leaving, obviously it's a lot. Um, but I, the one guy that I remember just being like the guy I looked up to probably the most, my first year was Chris LaPuma. So like defenseman, you know, got to play some games in the show, like five, nine, five, 10, like 165 pounds, but no one wanted to fight him. Like he was just an animal. Um, but I'm trying to think back about the guys we had that were kind of brought in for that role, you know, um, I'm trying to think who would be like my first couple of years. I know we had, uh, Dennis Bondy for a bit, right. And then he ended up going up to North Bay. Um, we had Jason Zohill for a bit, um, guys could still play hockey, but they were, you know, they were, you know, they didn't mind the, the tussle them either. Brad Barton. Who's that? Brad Barton. He had a few. Bart, yeah, yeah, Brad. A few so Prems, yeah. Yeah, so Bartz was there. Um, I wouldn't say Bartz was a heavyweight. He would fight the odd time, but uh, um, Bartz was probably a middle-of-pack guy. I'm trying to think of someone they brought in. But Barton was, I think he was, might have been a first-round draft pick by the Rangers a couple before I was. So I played a couple years with Brad, not not like the whole career, but um, yeah. So, yeah, there was some tough, but it was tough back then. You know, it was it was more like the NHL that way, I would say, like, you know, you had to fight for position and, you know, you had to step up, right? You had to. Nowadays, I don't think you have to do that, really. You mentioned stepping up and you talked about Gratz and Harv, two massive men. Um, as a smaller guy going into the corners against some of the big defensemen in the league at that time, was there a defenseman that you absolutely hated playing against? Hmm. I remember playing against Pronger. And he was tough. Like, he was just like, like, well, like he played in the NHL, right? He had like an edge to him, you know, and he found ways to get under your skin, you know, like he, he would just kind of poke you in the right spot or, you know, get you under the armpit and just give you a shot. Like, you know, reps aren't seeing that, right? Like he just was a prick to play against. That and, he was, and he was six and he, you know, he had that reach, right? You know, so, I mean, I would have been better off just like dive through his legs probably, to be honest, at some point. But going into the corners with him, like he just, he was just like, he was a man already. And he was, he was, he was tough, you know, he was a tough kid and he, he played that way. And that's, you know, that's propelled him to have a great NHL career. Just makes me think Popper and I are just coming off a broadcast in London where we saw the Rangers captain get into a, a fight. I, I use the term loosely. He gave away about eight inches and 40 pounds probably to this guy that was being a little physical along the boards and he got the Rangers captain got his, glove up in the face and next thing you know they were actually going to throw a few punches he took a whole lot more than he received but for a guy that was putting up points more often than not uh do you remember a, a fight where you either wanted it or got into it and then thought oh bullshit how did i get into this? <laughs> uh yeah definitely been in a few fights um you know i think maybe like not a lot like i would say maybe like four or five in the ohl like maybe six uh, i don't think i ever lost a fight really where i got smoked where because like 
when you're so small, like if I really just put my head down, they can't really hit me. You know, like the hit top of my head at the back, right? Like, you know, I remember, I remember uh, being inside the, I mean, there was one game, might even when Jeff Ward was coaching, because I remember uh, Greg Bignall, Bignall, you guys remember Bignall? Big Z, yeah, for sure. But Big Z, he was helping Wardy. And I remember somehow I ended up on the, the uh, visitor team inside their bench fighting. Like, I don't know how it happened. Like it was a kind of a brawl. And I ended up in their bench. And then one of our guys in our team came flying across Jimmy Superfly Snooka over the boards, landing inside their bench to try and help me. And I look over and then Big Z's got their assistant coach in a headlock. He's just feeding them. Like, and then, and then it was just like, that was okay. Like nothing ever came from it. You know what I mean? We're like, now it'd be like, you know, we'd all be in handcuffs, right? Like, you know, so, but I remember that. That was, that was a fun time. And uh, I, I mean, it was fun. I, I didn't mind fighting. I wasn't scared to fight. But I mean, obviously, I wasn't very good at it. my arms are like, you know, this long, right? I can just like I can't reach my wallet, right? I can't hit anybody. <laughs> they hold me up. I'm just not going to be. I'm not going to make contact, right? There's just no way. So I'm more like a grappler. I would just kind of get in there and hold on tight. I was just laughing. Could you imagine something like that happening nowadays? Like you, you talked about it, but even just not even the Superman died. Just a player ending up in the opposition bench, getting in a fight. Like you'd be suspended for ten games, yeah. easy. Oh, easy. Yeah, easy. easy. All over, well, all over, all over TikTok with some kind of cool music behind it. Right. <laughs> and then it would be just social media blown up. Right. And uh, times have really changed, man. Like, you know, I, I, some, for some, I think it's changed for the better. But in a lot of ways, I don't, I don't think it has. We're about the same age. I, I suspect you, like me, are very glad that it wasn't around when we were doing the things we were doing at that age. <laughs> right. Uh, right. One thousand percent. I'm much younger than both of you. And I say that about it now, my age, I'm glad it wasn't around when I played. (laughs) I love it. What was, what was Trevor Gallant or Gallant, pardon me. What was Trevor Gallant like um, away from the ice as a junior hockey player? Or was it all just hockey? I didn't go to school much. Um, You know, I just, like I said, I just think I thought like the path was there and I didn't have to worry about anything. Just make sure when I hit the ice for a game, I was, I mean, I worked hard in practice. I wouldn't say I was a lazy practice player at all. I mean, yeah, going to the rink, you know, outside the rink, though, like, you know, I just like to hang out with the boys. And, you know, we would, uh, you know, we'd go to the bars the odd time, of course, when we were of age, um, of course. Um, but, you know, like, you know, I think the same things they probably do now, right? Just probably a little more, um, a little more cautious about, uh, about what they're doing and where they are and, who they're talking to and who's, who's taping and videotaping them. We don't have to worry about that. Uh, but yeah, I just hung with my buddies and, you know, I had a great billet family, you know, spent time with them and, um, you know, they were, they were great people. Um, Andrea Chambers and uh, Stephanie and Chris were her, her kids. And, you know, I lived there for two and a half, three years and hang out there and watch, uh, you know, so in the daytime, like I said, I didn't go to school, I'd go to school and I leave and made sure I got home to watch days of our lives before I went to practice. That was pretty much my day every day. It's funny how you you mentioned the Billet family and, of course, remember by name. And we hear that so often from guys that come through this league for obvious reasons. They become basically parents, families to you at a really important time in your life. What about your teammates? And you're still in the game today, obviously. How many of the guys that you played with are you in regular contact with still? You know, I don't know if you guys hear this very often, but it's sad to say not very many. Um, do I see them at the rink the odd time? Like I run into Mike Torquia once in a while, you know, um, I run into, uh, Tyler Erdo once in a while, 
you know, guys I played with, um, you know, uh, it's, it's really odd. Like, you know, there's friendships you have, like your best of friends and then, you know, life takes you different. You guys are probably just anything about, you know, maybe your best friends in high school. You don't even talk to anymore. Right. It's very similar to that. It's, it's almost like a similar to high school experience. Right. I guess if you look at it in a big picture and try to break it down, um, you know, so not too many guys. I mean, I'm trying to think of someone that I would talk to. I would say I probably talk to a few more guys that I played with in Europe. I was in Germany for, with one team for four and a half years. And so, you know, um, we won a championship together. And I almost think that might have something to do with it. You know, I really do. There's something there about that, you know? Um, so there's three or four guys there that I once in a while talk to you, but, and then my, my London guys, like my high school buddies are the guys I grew up playing with. I'm almost reconnected with them the last 10 years when I retired. Right. Because they're still here. They didn't get to go on and play, you know, where I was able to go play. And so now I see them once in a while, we get together the odd time, maybe go golfing or whatever. So, you know, sad to say, not very many people, even, even my billets, like once in a while, but it's, you know, it's, you know, I have three kids and, you know, I'm trying to juggle three different hockey jobs basically. And, you know, I think you only have time for so much, right? Sad to say. No, but it makes perfect sense. And we are hearing more of that. Uh, but real quick to follow up, because you mentioned his name and high school. I went to high school with Tyler Ertz or okay. Ertl, pardon me. And Ertz is going to be on this podcast next week. So uh, Give give us something here, T Bone. Give us something here. Oh, God, <laughs> uh, he used to call me stinky. I don't know why. I was so he used to, him and Torch used to call me stinky. I could never figure out why. So ask him that question for me. Okay. Why did you call, why call me stinky? You want to see him today? Hey, stinky, what's up? And I don't know why. So I'm pretty sure I didn't stink. But, I was just about to say, did you stink? I, <laughs> I never heard that from anybody else. It just hurts. I don't know. Um, I had lots of nicknames though throughout my career. So that was, that's one. Everyone has their own nickname for me. Um, but yeah, he calls me Stinky for some reason. You know, he's we just got, heard, we just heard T-Bone. Are you a T-Bone kind of guy? I am a T-Bone. I Seinfeld, I am a T-Bone kind of guy. <laughs> Absolutely. That's my, that's my longest standing nickname is T-Bone. That's why I tell my kids to call me on the ice. Yeah. And then Bulldog was the other one. I was Bulldog with Team Canada mostly. And then uh, T-Bone a lot of years after that. <laughs> was the Bulldog because you played like a Bulldog? I don't know. I think maybe I looked like a Bulldog and I got a body like a Bulldog, short little stubby legs and stubby <laughs> stubby arms, right? Got the statue, you know, so maybe that might be it. And yeah, I think I played like a little Bulldog sometimes, maybe. It's a good question. I'm not really sure. You mentioned running into Mike Torquia. I thought you were implying that it's easy to run into Mike Torquia. <laughs> Hard to miss. Yeah. Do you have do you have a do you have a good torch story? He's such a lovable guy. Anyone who knows him comes on this podcast, talks about him immediately. Oh, torch! I ran into torch the other day. He's awesome. What a personality, right? Like you know, like you know, you like the guy right there that I see, and he gives me a big hug, right? Or kiss me on the neck, and like you know, like he's just got that the way about him, right? He's uh, he's a great guy. Um, you know, torch was torch, and he know he knew his deficiencies. Everyone did. I mean, it wasn't, you, you couldn't hide it, uh, but he still had an exceptional career being, you know, whatever, right? Like he was, he was so amazing. And I think he got tired of people saying like, get on the bike, right? Like, I mean, the guy tried, you know, like, could he have tried harder? Maybe. Like I said, I could have tried harder, right? But we were in, we were in Italy together. So we actually played pro together in Italy. Um, and that's where Laura and my wife, Nicole, and then we played together in England as well. So yeah, we played together a couple of times, which is actually pretty cool. So Laura's wife and my wife became pretty close friends. Um, so, you know, I remember playing in Italy and like 
the coach, I think his name was Bob Mano. He's like, oh, Torch, we want you on the bike every day here at like, whatever, like 7 a.m. or whatever it was. And it was like, he's like, like, really? Like, this is me. Like, it ain't going away. Like, if I'm not going to do it to be able to play in Dallas, well, I'm going to do it here to play. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he just, he tried. He got on the bike and, you know, he, he tried to, you know, like, but he wasn't in bad shape. Like, the guy could play, you know. His conditioning was fine, you know. His flexibility was fine, you know. He played in the NHL. Like, I mean, you know, so yeah, I mean, uh, I don't really have too much of a funny story. Just, just he's, uh, if you ever talk to him, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's a uh, encyclopedia. He knows a lot, lots of little facts about stuff that doesn't really matter. He remembers a lot. Yeah, absolutely yeah. remembers a lot. Yeah. We were talking earlier about the game, the way that it was played when you were in it, the fights that were commonplace that would get people arrested today. Uh, You've been vocal in the last number of years, though, Trevor, about concussions and the way we diagnose and monitor for them today that obviously we weren't a few decades ago. Are we in a better place with the game because of that? Um, That's a hard question for me to answer, to be honest, because I think the game is, you know, I don't like the way the game is played now for for that reason, if that makes any sense. But then I, I understand that there's more life than hockey. So... If there was a happy medium in there somewhere, I think I would be all over it. I think, you know, the referees, they do the best they can. They're probably scared not to call something. And then something happens to this boy who maybe had took a elbow to the head and, you know, there was no call and something happened. You know what I mean? There's always this kind of like same with social media, right? You're just like always on eggshells. You know, we're almost going too far now crazy, right? With it, you know, do I have issues from concussions? Absolutely. Right. Like I deal with the daily bright lights or big crowds or like I struggle big time. Is it because of concussions? 100 percent. You know, I was playing through concussions and never doing anything about it. Right. So, yeah, I wouldn't want anyone to live through that. So, I mean, is there some way to make it, you know, to make it the way it is and then and, and change the way we look at making calls? We have to get really dive deep into the scientific part of it. Um, I am I am happy that they are they are. Siding on the air, they're, they're airing on the side of caution extra now, which I think is a good good start. But like I said, I think it does take away from the game, to be honest, a little bit. Like the never st- whistle, 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 whistle. I coach minor hockey; it's just nonstop, right? How do you get into rhythm? And then you're trying to get your team going, and you you know, and one night you're killing, you know, eight nine penalties in a row. Next night, you know, you don't get, you know what I mean? There's, consistency isn't there because of it's so it's so opinionated with like a referee making a call from one angle. Right. And that referee might be a little more, you know, touch that. Oh, you're going to the box. And I wonder if he might be a little bit more open to maybe he played the game. Right. I know it doesn't mean you can be a good ref or better. I'm not making that point, but maybe that's why one ref might think something different than the other ref, you know? So there's lots to it. And my son went through it. I think it's a, it's a great thing that we are diagnosing them better for sure. But then I worry about can what's next, right? Like, what are we going to do next to, to take away from the game? That's what I worry about a little bit. When you were playing overseas, my buddy played in Geneva in Switzerland, and he's got plenty of stories about Chris McSorley. But was there any moment overseas where a coach said that he wanted you to do something or something different within the game where you were just like, where am I? And what on earth are you wanting me to do? I never had a crazy coach like that. You know, I did. Uh, Chris was over in England as well when I was playing. He was coaching the London team at that point. And so the stories before I got there was like, this guy's a nut bar. I never actually met the guy. 
Um, and then we started coaching over in, yeah, he coached over in Switzerland right after that, I think. I never actually met him. So most of my coaches were pretty, pretty low key, actually. I don't have any of those stories where my coach kind of was really far. Oh, well, I guess one coach, uh, Dave the Hammer Schultz, coached me in uh, roller hockey. So he was not bar. Like he was not. So, yeah, thank you. <laughs> So I went down to play roller hockey after my leaving my my fourth year in the OHL. Went down to uh, Philadelphia and played for the Philadelphia Phantoms. And uh, he was our head coach. He was still a god down there, right? He was still a superstar. Like he would just go off on the bench. We're like, what the? What is this guy doing? Like looking at each other, like almost like embarrassed, right? Like he starts slamming gates for no reason. Everyone's like, this guy okay? Like where's the jacket? Like. You know, great man, though, like a wonderful guy, like awesome guy. Just, you know, well, you saw what he did in the 70s, right? Like he just, you know, went to his house, had a great barbecue with like old flyer guy, flyer guy. Rick McLeish was there. Billy Barber was there. Um, a lot of the old flyers from that flyers from that era were there. Big steak dinner. He had our whole team over there. It was it was great. Like, but yeah, he was he was off the wall. Did, did he give you a Salisbury steak? And you were like, actually, I'm a T-bone guy. I'm a T-bone guy. There. Yeah. Tiger, that's something like that. <laughs> Actually, I got in trouble because I I grabbed a hot dog first, and he yelled at me. He's like, "Those are for the damn kids." He gave me <laughs> um, hot dogs and Joe Louis. You're a simple yeah, guy, T Bone. No, no, I'm a simple guy. Keep keep it simple. Give me a Joe Louis and a hot dog, and I'll and I'll play for you. Um, but he was he was he got mad at me for that, and then he's like, "That steak coming for the adults." I'm like, "Oh, sorry." Anyway, <laughs> he yelled at me a few times. Anyway, that's fantastic. Uh, one of the three hockey jobs that you currently have is scouting with the Hamilton Bulldogs. What do you look for in a player these days? Uh, for me, right away, I think because of the, I think, you know, what I brought to the table was probably just IQ, you know, be able to think the game differently and, uh, and uh, move around the ice methodically and, and always be in the right spot at the right time. Um, there's a reason why pucks fall certain players around, right? Whether it's natural or even thinking about it, they just know where to go. And so I like players like that uh, for me personally. Other guys might look for skating, um, you know, physicality, you know, do they have quick release, um, you know, what's their goal scoring ability, stuff like that, right? So what the first thing I'm drawn to is someone that thinks the game. I don't look at their skating. I don't really look at their overall stats, like how big they are, what they might get to. First thing I'm drawn to is, oh, that was an intelligent play. And then I go from there. So that's kind of how I would do it mostly. And breakaway speed, right? <laughs> That's second, for sure. That's second. IQ, then breakaway speed. Now, everyone uh, now can skate, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I don't think you can play in the OHL now if you can't keep up, right? Like, so, yeah, I mean, it's the skating ability has gone crazy. You know what? I will tell you, I, I agree with that. But there's a there's a kid that the Hamilton Bulldogs just acquired in a trade with the Kitchener Rangers. And I look. I should be embarrassed. I am embarrassed to admit it, but I'll admit it anyway. When he first came as a free agent uh, from St. Catharines to try out with the Rangers, the one camp, I looked at him and thought, well, this kid can hardly, like he doesn't skate well enough to be in this league, Arbor Jack guy, and look at him now. Like, what a story. That is a great story. I didn't know him before that. I do know his younger brother, or sorry, his younger brother is four, and my youngest son. But um, yeah, like, I don't really know his path, to be honest. I just know that he had really successful last year with Montreal signing. And then like, all of a sudden he's a stud, like a league stud where people would love to have that guy back there to quarterback, whatever. 
and he's got this way about him. You know, I didn't know him. I do watch the OHL game and the Kitchen Ranger game. And he's just like a calmness back there. And he provides some kind of a safety net or something. Plus he can, you know, he can shoot it. He can provide some offense. So he really has a, a big package for sure. He's, he's a good player. We're, we're really happy to have him, put it that way. That, you know, more, I think he almost puts us more over the edge than McTavish does. Yeah, he, I don't know if I've ever seen a player have that steep of a trajectory, like or s- steepness of a development. Yeah, he came from – I was with Farsi. I saw him when he came over from St. Catharines. I thought, this guy can't skate this league. Zero chance. What year was that, guys? 17. Yeah. And then yeah. You, you see him this year. <laughs> he was the crazy. best skater on the ice every game. The work yeah, he's put in, I give him – I get all the credit to him. thousand yeah, percent. He worked at it something. He did extra. You know, so yeah, good for him, but we're happy to have him. <laughs> Sorry for you guys. You got Nav or Mutter, my buddy. So Nav, I've worked with Nav for a long time. So Mutter, we drafted Mutter, right, out of Elgin here. So I've known Mutter for a long time, and we're happy to get him. And he, he's he's a beast too. Like his rookie year, he was a fifth-round pick, I believe, by us. Fifth or sixth-round pick. And uh, he made our team as a rookie, like as an underager, right, because he was so mature. He's so mature and ready to play physically. And he wasn't afraid. He was he was he was one of the best hitters I've ever seen at minor midget. Like he just would crush guys. And he also had a little bit of offense. So he made our team as a as a rookie. The coach were like looking around, going, "Who's this guy?" Almost like a slap shot uh, with the Hanson brothers go up there for a shift. Literally, it was like that. He go up for a shift, and uh, John Gruden was our coach at the time. And he's looking at Steve, like literally looking with eyes like the eye roll, going, "Who is this kid?" Like you know, it was it was just hilarious to watch it because I knew him. I knew the kid, and uh, it was good. It was a good story. So he's a great kid. You talked about, you know, not well, going to school but not staying in school because you thought the path was set out for you. In all the development you're doing with, whether it be with Hamilton or Tag, do you talk to the players about having another option just in case hockey doesn't go out and kind of using your past as an example? 100%. 100%. A lot of parents, too. I talk to them. I don't mind telling my story. Like, you know, I think, you know, it's funny, like today I wouldn't get away with that. Right. Like I wouldn't, there's no way I would get away with what I did back then. Right. So they've already got that kind of platform set up and OHL would not be as strong as this is today, unless, you know, they didn't go ahead and make sure that they focus on those things because right now we'd be losing a lot more players to colleges and stuff like that. So you know, parents are much more comfortable sending their kids to an OHL club now because of the platform that the OHL has put in place and, you know, the rules you want to call it or what the teams have put in place to make sure these kids are going to school. So, um, yeah, like, I mean, I talk about, you know, um, having, you know, fallback plans or whatever. Like, let's face it, I mean, you might, you know, even the really good players might play a little bit of pro, but you're not going to be able to, like, retire on the money you're making. So, you know, I think education is a wonderful thing. Like, if I can go back, if I can go back, you know, knowing, you know, what I know now, because I would have had opportunities to go to school. I did have opportunities to go to school. Um, you know, go back in that time, a time capsule. Would I go to the OHL? I don't know. Like, I mean, going to Michigan State would have been pretty cool, you know, and uh, would have been pretty fun and a great experience. So I don't know what I would have done, but, um, you know, I definitely tell kids that, you know, listen, like, you got to make sure you have a plan. And again, it's hard to tell a 17 year old, like, you don't have a plan right? They're not ready. But yeah, I tell them my story and and, uh, make sure they know that it's important to stay in school. 
I think we've reached the point where I know Popper's going to have just one more question. So before we get to his one more, my one more is one you got me thinking about when you were talking about Navarin Mutter's rookie season, which would have been the year the Bulldogs, Hamilton Bulldogs won the OHL championship. So while you didn't win one as a player, I, I suspect the feeling is somewhat special, even being part of the organization that pulled that off a few years ago. It was amazing, man. Like I was there watching the game and um, our head scout was there, Davey, um, and we were sitting up top watching the game, like never been so intense. Cause I hate watching I'd rather play. Obviously you guys probably were the same way. They're like, Oh my God. And then they scored me anyway. Long story short, we're like jumping up and down, like hugging each other. And people like, who are these guys? Right? Probably didn't know who we were. So, you know, spending like, you know, a bunch of time on the ice and, you know, um, Mr. Ann Lauer, like what a class act, right? Like, you know, I'd been working for them for a couple of years. Uh, Dave Gray hired me. Um, and you know, Stevie was there and I know Steve cause Stevie played in, you know, played in, uh, in Niagara Falls and all that. So Steve knew who I was anyway, but yeah, it was a great thing. Like, you know, and you know, I was lucky enough that they were able to give me a ring, which was fantastic. So I'm um, really proud of that, even though it's for scouting. I mean, I think I brought some good players in and we're, we knew that we had players in there that they were able to make trades with Connor uh, McMichael was one of them that uh, I was a big fan of. And I fought to, for him to be drafted by us and, we have three or four other guys we're looking at. And so, you know, we don't get Robert Thomas. We not, might not win that cup. So, yeah, I have a tiny, a small hand in, in maybe what happened, you know, um, or a little bit of con- – I contributed a tiny, tiny bit. But it's a wonderful organization, and Stevie's great, and our staff is unreal, and I love doing it. And I hopefully uh, keep be able to keep doing it for sure. Um, my last question – is kind of an open-ended one to you because we've talked for an hour here. We've mentioned a lot of names. We've talked about different stops throughout your career. I'm going to leave it up to you. What story do you want to tell on this podcast about your OHL days or your pro days that we didn't ask you about? Oh, Jesus. You got a good one for us? Something funny, maybe? Hmm. A story. Let me think here. I think it's something that would be kind of unique and different. Um, like if you met someone in a bar and they said, Oh, you played in the OHL. What was that? Yeah, like? You got to remember we're, we're <laughs> on a podcast here, right? Like, we're not sitting in the bar and we're not having a pint of beer. Speak we, for will yourself. we will though. Okay. And you okay. don't know how much I'll get in trouble with this, but uh, there used to be a bar called the network and the odd time I'd go there for a pregame meal, but it was a, it was a, it was a dancing ladies club. And they offered $1.99 lasagna. <laughs> I think it was like $3.99 for a piece of lasagna and a pitcher of beer. <laughs> so, That's great. <laughs> I think maybe that happened. I don't know. Maybe that was a dream. I don't know. Uh, Your pregame meals are certainly something. Uh, <laughs> a chicken wings lasagna. Uh, Joe Louis on the bus. It's perfect. My teeth in, guys. I apologize. <laughs> I don't Oh, this is a, off our back. It's a hockey podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It adds credibility, if anything, T-Bone. For sure. Uh, this has been great. Really, and and I love the, I, I said it earlier, but the honesty with which you tell your story, I think it's important. And it's so cool to catch up with one of the top 10 scorers in Ontario Hockey League history. That's fantastic. So thanks so much for doing this with us. Guys, this is amazing. I love talking hockey. And, you know, it's uh, brings back lots of memories for myself. So, you know, thanks for having me on. It was a wonderful experience, and I, you know, hope to see you guys again sometime. If you're ever back at the odd, make sure to come up and say hello, and we'll make sure to let you know when we're down around London. Maybe you could stop by. Yeah, I will definitely do that for sure, guys, 100%. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. 
On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.